What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Tuesday, October 19th, 2021 edition of Locked on Dolphins. We're talking stock watch. Players, especially those we are evaluating to be long-term building blocks who are or are not showcasing themselves in a light in which we hoped, in particular coming out of Week 6 against the Jacksonville Jaguars, plus why we should be evaluating everything here on Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans? It's your host, Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, and excited to dig into it here on this Tuesday episode of the show. Today's episode is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. One thing I'm not loving is this 2021 Miami Dolphins season to this point in time. But we're working our way through it. And I appreciate everybody who continues to listen to the show and consume Locked On Dolphins and make it your first listen for the Miami Dolphins throughout the course of the day. And uh, it's really helped me personally to hear from each and every one of you uh, who continues to to listen to the show and and is going to work through this with us here on Locked On Dolphins. With that said, I've had some questions, and this is where I wanted to start today's show because I've got a lot of this on social media over the course of the past 36 hours. Kyle, you can't be serious. You're also peddling this worst-case scenario, uh, doomsday, fire Brian Flores, hellfire and brimstone. I'm not advocating for that. And I think this is an important distinguishment that needs to be made. I haven't made up my mind on what I think needs to happen on any front with any player, any coach, any personnel member. It's an evaluation window. But it is important to ask the questions and not turn the blind eye. And I had somebody who had reached out in particular, and they were very, what's the word I want to use? Pointed with what they perceived to be as unfairness on my part in evaluating Brian Flores. And I've seen this echoed amongst a number of Miami Dolphins fans who are still in support of Brian Flores. So I wanted to to read this comment from John. If Tua hadn't gotten hurt, we're three and two, would you even mention some of these issues? What's your narrative then? Some things are related where others aren't. Goes on to make a soccer analogy, which I'm going to be honest and plead the fifth and and not understand. The point is, in 66 and 18, one did not affect the other. Talking about uh, England and the World Cup, which is why I skipped right over (laughs) over that part of the analogy. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, eight pass attempts in 2020, and an unsettled offensive line had had a serious detrimental effect on the Miami Dolphins the last five games. Where is your balanced objectivity? And that's where I take exception to this. Uh, He continues, in 16, Adam Gase coached Miami to the playoffs 
and a trouncing by Pittsburgh, remove all the over-the-top emotion and replace it with objectivity, and a sensible person would see that the season and team overachieved and wasn't a true reflection of the roster, and we haven't had a solid foundation. Miami is in its sixth week of its second year of what should be fairly a three-year rebuild, three drafts plus free agency. Coming into the season, we were weak at running back in the running game on the offense, while suspect on the defensive line versus the run and pressuring the quarterback. This season to date, this young team has experienced some serious obstacles and growing pains with poor offensive line play and two injured, but I believe it will be better for it. Yet this is ignored for no logical reason, except it suits the media to portray a negative slant so they have their hits and sales. Where is the objectivity? You know, if, if, if I wanted to get lazy and keep the traffic for this show up, I would manufacture a bunch of bullshit and not go above and beyond to cry, try to create eight episodes worth of content in a five-day work week, which is what I did last week, because it's just as valuable for me to spend this time talking with you guys and try to sort out what in the hell's going on than it is to... You know, it'd be a lot easier to just make shit up. But that's not what we're doing. We're asking questions. We're evaluating this team. And I, I disagree to a certain degree uh, that this only counts as year two of the rebuild. I do think that's moving the goalposts a little bit. I'm not going to argue that, that Tua Tagovailoa's injury is a massive detriment to the evaluation of the first month of the season for the Dolphins. There's no question. That's absolutely fair to observe. But it's not just the quarterback situation. It's this team not knowing how to line up or on what side of the formation I'm supposed to go to when we break the huddle. It's the miscommunications. It's the bad tackling. It's the penalties. It's the mental errors and the self-inflicted wounds. That's all stuff that is the takes-no-talent stuff that Brian Flores has been preaching to this franchise since he got here in 2019. That's the kind of stuff that these guys should be retaining. They're not. That's what concerns me. If it was just play on the field, bad play by the offensive line that you're playing musical chairs with, and bad quarterback play, I'd be much more willing. And before the season started, I was very, very pro Brian Flores. And I, I, again, have not made my mind that anybody needs to lose their job from a head coach perspective or general manager perspective. And I know that that's kind of flying in the face of, of a lot of the popular opinions that exist on social media about the team right now. I'm evaluating it, but you can't evaluate it without asking questions. And when I look at the Dolphins, specifically from a coaching perspective, the team's sloppy, they're undisciplined, they don't know their assignments. That's all very alarming. And then you get into whatever dynamics are at play with assistant coaches for the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores. And you think about all of the assistants who have come and gone and left to take a, a parallel job or no job at all. And that at least paired with some of the reporting that exists out there that Brian Flores as a member of the Bill Belichick tree is particularly hard and challenging on his assistant coaches. 
and the uh, issues that Miami has had in building a competent offensive staff to complement his presence as a defensive-minded coach is problematic. Jim Caldwell in 2019 came in, had health issues, didn't coach a single day for the team. But at the end of the year in 2019, he was let go. And since went on to look for more work and didn't find it. Okay, take that in a vacuum. But the same offseason, Chad O'Shea was fired. Complaints from the players about the playbook being too complex. Okay, that's fair. Patrick Graham left as the defensive coordinator of the Dolphins in the same offseason to take a job with the New York Giants as the defensive coordinator. Parallel move. You want to throw on the assistant head coach title, you're more than welcome to. But Patrick Graham left the Dolphins' defensive coordinator spot to take a parallel job somewhere else. Marion Hobby, the defensive line coach, this past offseason, left the Dolphins to take the exact same job and position with the Cincinnati Bengals. Austin Clark, who was previously at Illinois, was elevated to take his spot. You think about four offensive line coaches who apparently none of which shared any ideology, terminology, or coaching points at all in three seasons and three and four offensive coordinators in three seasons as well. And I have to ask the question, if, if your messaging to the team is not being retained and you're a defensive coach, never mind the fact that the defense isn't playing well, but you're a defensive coach and the other side of the ball, you can't get right from an assistant coaching staff perspective to the degree in which you had to get so creative to try and piece together a staff that you had a quarterback's coach who spent two years in offensive coordinator at the college level for a mid-level program, and that's it. You had one of your offensive coordinators called 19 games for the Houston Texans five years ago, and that's it. And your other offensive coordinator has never been an offensive coordinator before, and your fourth offensive line coach is a first-year positional coach. And your defensive line coach that you replaced Marion Hobby with, who took the same job somewhere else, is a first year, you know, second year assistant coach, but first year positional coach to the degree in which he is as the defensive line coach. You start piecing all these pieces of the puzzle together, and you at least have to ask the question of what is going on. So it's not like it, it would be so much easier if just the, Jacoby came in and played bad and the offense was a hot mess, but everything else was what you expected it to be. Then I wouldn't be sitting here saying, yo, we need to evaluate Brian Flores. And I have a great deal of respect for Brian Flores for what he did in 2019 and 2020. He did overachieve in both of those years, but now he has talent and they forget to do the simple stuff. That's why I'm at least, again, Asking the question, I think I, I can't drive that point home enough. I'm not saying Brian Flores needs to go, no questions asked. We have a two-thirds of the season to work with here. But the direction that the team goes from here 
is going to be very telling. And it continues. And Armando Soguero, everybody say what you will about Armando Soguero. Guy's plugged in. He's not pulling stuff out of his hat. He interviewed a piece for his, his new piece that came out today on Monday after Miami lost to Jacksonville. Asked a bunch of former players about working for Belichick disciples. And eventually, you know, and it was quoted to a player that had worked, played for Matt Patricia in Detroit. Your messaging, if it's the same over and over and over again, and winning isn't going to follow it, starts falling on deaf ears. And that's what we have to be concerned about with Brian Flores as this team continues this season, if they continue to struggle. Today's episode of Locked on Dolphins is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French flies and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say locked on Dolphins watch party? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. I had to work my way through that, you know, because reading comments like that, that are effectively saying, Kyle, you're a part of the media problem in covering the dolphins and you're peddling false storylines and false narratives and you're not being fair. As you guys, if you listen to the Monday show, the last five minutes of the Monday show, I love this team and I want nothing more than to see this team be successful. And I want nothing more than the parties that are, in, that are involved now that we are really, really invested in to continue to find success. And I ultimately am not going to have the resources, the insider information, so on and so forth. I, I hear whispers of stuff, but I, I don't want to be somebody who peddles rumors or third-hand information or create conspiracy theories off the top of my head or anything else. I don't want to be that individual. I want to cover this team with integrity. So I'm not going to have the definitive answers to piece together exactly what's happened. I'm just not. I don't have that kind of inside track. I talk to people who are familiar with the team. But you got to remember, if you hear something from somebody who's close to Stephen Ross, you're going to get Stephen Ross's side of the story. If you talk to somebody who's close to Brian Flores, you're going to hear Brian Flores' side of the story. If you talk to somebody who's close to Chris Greer, you're going to hear Chris Greer's side of the story. And then, so it's this moving jigsaw puzzle that's constantly evolving and the narratives are shifting. And what I do know is all of the work that has been put in place to instill a positive culture in the Miami Dolphins organization. I'm not seeing that right now. And I, I don't know how quickly it can bounce back. I admire the fans who, who continue to be optimistic about the team and uh, are having a lot of faith. Or even dare to say, the word playoffs at the end, you know, nine and nine and eight and the seven seeds wide open and we're only two games out and so on and so forth. And yeah, that's, that's true. 
It, that's all true. But I, I don't know if it's because I do have some conversations with people who are inside the team, and you hear some of these things that aren't really inspiring for what's going on behind closed doors. And, and you see the product on the field on Sundays. I'm just not there. And instead, I'd rather ask the questions of, okay, let's let's try to collect as much information as we can to try and identify the root causes of the problem. That way we can address them proactively. So that way we don't have to wait another year and a half, let this thing get so bad, and then completely tear it down to the studs again. Nobody wants to do that. I don't think you have to do that. I just counted the quality players on the roster that you can qualify as building blocks, and it's almost half the roster. You shouldn't have to go back to square one. But to put the blinders on and say everything is fine, just stay the course, at some point it becomes uh, overly optimistic. And maybe we get to the end of the season and this thing stabilizes, and Miami is 9-8, and eight, and you come back and you say, hey, you know, if, if Tua didn't get hurt, we'd probably win a couple of games. We're going to run it back, no questions asked. But there's so much that has to change for us to get to that point. So much that has to change. Let's go ahead and shift gears here. I feel a little better having addressed that. Um, let's talk about uh, the stock watch players who helped them themselves and players who have not. The first place I want to start, obviously, is with Tua Tungvalu. We mentioned him yesterday. And we spent probably the first five minutes of the show talking about things Tua did and did not do well uh, in that matchup against Jacksonville. Uh, obviously, a very productive game from a passing yardage perspective and a couple of touchdowns. Um, and he had one of the best games of his career from a metric standpoint, next-gen stats, pro football focus, all of those things generally graded to a Tungvaloa very favorably. And, and whether it's average distance of target, and he was targeting Mike Gusecki, or how effective he was from 10 to 19 yards downfield, he was not sacked in this football game. He showed mobility, got off his spot, obviously had the mistake with the interception. He had probably three throws you'd want back and another three miscommunications. So, like, you're talking probably five to ten plays you would want back. Threw the ball 47 times. I would have loved to see the ball in his hands on fourth down. Stock's up for Tua, though. If you told me we get that version of Tua the rest of the year, your enthusiasm for Tua Tungvaloa is unquestionably higher than it is at this point in time in which there is so much of his game and so much of the stability of his game that is just irregular. Uh, it's um, unknown. I want to give a shout out to Robert Hunt. Robert Hunt is somebody who came into this season for me personally, uh, who I had a lot of expectations for. I thought very highly of Robert Hunt. I thought the move inside to guard, despite the fact that I thought he would be a perfectly fine offensive tackle, uh, you figured that would align him in a position to have success. 
I thought Robert Hunt played the best game of his 2020 season in week six, 2021 season in week six. He only conceded two pressures. This was the third consecutive week that Robert Hunt has only allowed two pressures. And we've talked on this show a fair amount about the questions and the concerns are at the tackle positions. And Liam Eikenberg didn't play particularly well against Jacksonville. Josh Allen got the better of him a number of times. But Robert Hunt, the interior, and Greg Manns, to his credit as well, I want to shout him out as well, uh, has not been much of a drop-off from Michael Dieter. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for Michael Dieter, uh, but I know those two guys on the inside were pretty solid against Jacksonville. They were sturdy in pass protection. Uh, they got some push in the run game. I think the stock up for, for Robert Hunt, uh, his play has really leveled off. In the first three weeks of the season, Robert Hunt had 10 pressures allowed, one, three, and six against the Raiders. The last three weeks, two, two, and two. He also had three penalties in the first three weeks of the season, no penalties the last three weeks. Very encouraging for a guy who is one of those uh, incomplete evaluation players to see Robert Hunt come out and stabilize his play over the course of the last three weeks. That's going to inspire you. That, that's going to help you be more optimistic of what he can be. Another name who, on the offensive side of the ball, is, is going to continue to command our attention is Mike Gusecki. Not because we have questions about Mike's play, but instead it's a question of who we, are we going to bring him back? Are we going to pay him? Mike was excellent against uh, the Jaguars. Middle of the field. He had a, a number of completions of over 20 yards. He had some yardage after the catch. Uh, and he's been spending a fair amount of time on the perimeter. He lined up 14 times against Jacksonville outside as a perimeter wide receiver. Almost equal to the amount of snaps that he took from the slot, which was 20 against Jacksonville. Only took three snaps in line. Uh, he has 91 yards of yards after catch this season. And the past two games, 4.0 and 4.4 yards after catch per reception. His average distance of target downfield against Jacksonville was 9.8 yards, almost 10 yards downfield. It's been three consecutive games in which Dolphin quarterbacks targeting Mike Isecki have had a quarterback rating in excess of 100. And I understand the concern and the question is the, the dollars you're going to have to pay him and what that is going to balance out to when... At the end of the day, Mike can't play with his hand in the dirt. And what does that look like from an offensive weapon perspective? And what does that look like from economics? If Mike's going to do this, Mike needs to come back. Period. And I think it's a pretty easy sell if you start evaluating the offensive coaching staff. And we're not particularly inspired by the offensive play calling whether it's Brian Flores at head coach when we get to the end of the evaluation window at the end of the year or somebody else, you need somebody who knows what in the hell they're doing to build an offense to run this offense. Whether it's as Brian Flores as OC or potentially as a new head coach. And again, I'm not advocating for one or the other just yet. I'm just saying. And either way, if Brian Flores is going to bring somebody in to run the offense, great. 
get out of the way, sign the check, Mike needs to be here. If Brian Flores is not back, it's even easier for a potential head coaching candidate and hire to inspect it and say, boom, yes, this guy's an asset. We're going to make sure we bring him back and pay him accordingly. He's been excellent the last three weeks. None better than this past week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Defensively, uh, I I think the best evaluation that I have, the the player I'm most excited about from a defensive perspective uh, and what they put on film over the course of the last couple of weeks is Javon Holland. Uh, He's playing much heavier, significant load of snaps now. And he's taken that position and he's showcasing the range and he's really close. He is really close to making a lot of plays on the ball. Half step behind. uh, He was another player who I thought played his best career game against Jacksonville. Uh, He had a pass defense against Jacksonville. The other pass that he had that was a penalty was a joke to call personal foul when he's breaking on the football and they happen to make incidental contact with their helmets. I'm sorry, a freaking joke that that was a penalty against Javon Holland. But don't look now. The last two weeks, since they've started to give Javon Holland more run, you're starting to see much more versatility in his usage. Last two weeks, Tampa Bay and Jacksonville. Holland spent 14 snaps in the box an additional one snap on the line of scrimmage against Tampa Bay. He spent 10 snaps in the box and four snaps on the defensive line, plus two snaps in the slot to go with 49 snaps at free safety against Jacksonville. Very good tackling. He was given a couple opportunities to to blitz, and he created a couple of pressures. He gave up two completions on three targets. Uh, for 40 yards. If you go back to the Tampa game, it's two completions on four targets for 40 yards. Four yards after the catch. 29-yard completion was the long. So of those 40 yards on two receptions over four targets in the last two games, 29 of them came on one catch. Highly encouraged by the willingness of the Dolphins staff to put more on his plate. And as he continues to grow and evolve, that's really what's going to make Javon Holland a unique and special player for the Dolphins. In life, we're all bound for different things. With beachbound.com vacations, you could be bound for adventure, bound for passion, bound for discovery, or bound for togetherness, bound for immersion, bound for rejuvenation, or you may be bound for encountering something unexpected. Personally, when I'm at a resort, I'm bound to end up at the poolside bar or maybe creating my own taco flight. Uh, everybody loves a good taco, right? As long as I've got a good view and a good drink in my hand, I can be as happy as can be. With beachbound.com, you can find the perfect beach vacation for you no matter what you're looking for. What are you bound for at beachbound.com? Rockauto.com is an auto parts provider who provides high-quality service and has been online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver, rockauto.com has all of your auto parts needs, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price of the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? 
Visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and write locked on in their how do you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So who are some guys who are stocked down? Obviously, with a rookie in Javon Holland, a player who's potentially facing a major contract extension in Mike Gusecki, a second-year quarterback and a second-year offensive lineman, some good pieces to take away from that game. I am going to um, put my flag in the ground here, and I'm going to make a request for the Dolphins. Durham Smythe should not be getting more than like 10 snaps a game for the rest of the season. If you went out and you drafted Hunter Long and he's available to play, which he is, there's no reason for Durham Smythe to be getting 40-plus snaps. And when you look at what he's done thus far this season, Durham Smythe played 72 total snaps, including special teams, in Week 6. He played 39 snaps as an inline tight end, two snaps in the backfield, that's 41, 14 snaps in the slot, that's 55, three snaps out wide, 58 offensive snaps for Durham Smythe as the traditional wide tight end who plays with his hand in the dirt, including giving up the penetration to Josh Allen that blew up the fourth down play with the final two minutes. That's one of the little dirty little secret about Durham Smythe. Durham has been playing since 2018. And since 2018, he has finished in the bottom 15 in the NFL amongst all tight ends who have played at least 20% of the snaps. Bottom 15 in run blocking. So if this player's value, and we know it's not in the passing game because that's Mike, and it's Adam Shaheen in the red zone more than him. And I understand Adam Shaheen wasn't available in week six against Jacksonville. But if your value is as a hand-in-the-dirt tight end who can block, and in three of the last four years, you've been in the bottom 15, including 2021, in run blocking, and you just used a third-round pick on a pro-ready, relatively speaking, tight end, my question is why is he getting 58 offensive snaps in week six? That, for the life of me, is something I don't have a good answer to. So consider this my petition to kickstart the transition for Durham Smythe to play less. He's an expiring contract. Let's start getting Hunter Long into those reps at a higher and higher frequency because the ceiling with what Durham provides, other than being smart and knowing the plays, is fairly low. Presumably, that's the same reason why we continue to see as much of Jesse Davis as we do. Uh, He's smart. He knows the plays. Execution's a different story. Uh, And we're going to be honest. We're going to be very objective here. Liam Eikenberg did not play a good football game against Jacksonville. Uh, His past protection rates uh, were concerning uh, as far as pressures allowed. Uh, This was comfortably 
uh, the worst game that he's had. I would even put it worse than the Raiders game. Uh, so he had a false start penalty. He gave up five pressures, four four hurries, and one hit on the quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen converted speed to power on one play and put him on his butt. Growing pains, sure. But if you are going to inspire the Dolphins to not look elsewhere in this offseason in which the offensive line is going to get a very, very, very serious look, then you need to play better than how you played against Jacksonville week six. But there is something interesting. Um, Penny Sewell, who has obviously kind of been put under the spotlight for Dolphins fans, especially now amidst the offensive line struggles. Oh, we should have drafted him instead. I knew it. You know who's given up more pressures than Liam Eikenberg thus far through six weeks? Penny Sewell. You know who's got more penalties assessed against them through six weeks than Liam Eikenberg? Penny Sewell. You know who's given up more sacks this season than Liam Eikenberg through the first six weeks of the season? Penny Sewell has the same amount. Four apiece. So I understand, especially coming off a bad game, it's really easy to look at Liam and point out the struggles that he's had and said, well, you know, we knew this was going to be problematic. We should have drafted. We should have taken it more seriously and taken a better talent. If you watch Detroit play, Liam Eikenberg is not an infallible presence on the offensive line. He's given up more pressures and has more penalties against him through six games than Liam Eikenberg does. And it's not like there's an overwhelming difference in snaps. I think, I think Penny's played 30, 32 more snaps than Liam has through the first six weeks. And if you're looking at a first-year offensive line coach and you're looking at a rookie offensive lineman who was playing right tackle, then left guard, then right tackle again, then over to left tackle, and then back to right tackle, and now back to left tackle again, which is literally the path that Lee Meikenberg has taken. If I'm going to be objective, which to bring this episode full circle was the criticism that I had received over the course of the last 24 hours, not being objective about the coaching staff. If I'm going to be objective about Penny Sewell, the Dolphins did him a disservice, or excuse me, if I'm going to be objective about Liam Eikenberg, the Dolphins did him a disservice with the musical chairs that they played with him throughout the course of training camp at the first three weeks of the season. We'll see how he bounces back, because again, this is an evaluation. But you can't come out of Jacksonville and say stock is anything but down for Liam because he struggled mightily in stretches of this game. That's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Dolphins. You guys hang in there. Let's keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. you got a lot of great content coming the rest of the week. I promise we're going to look to get Joe Rose back on the show. we got a crossover Thursday with Aaron Freeman of Locked on Falcons. We're going to be going through some all-22 observations, breaking down things that specifically went right and wrong. Lots to get into. Lots to talk about. We'll see what comes down the chute. So make sure you hit subscribe and keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks as always for listening, guys.